Hello and welcome to Truck Stop Murder and True Crime Pod, where I'm your host Gary Howard will take you on a venture from truck stop to truck stop and where I stopped at and the craziness where I found around there. And this week brings me on to January 11th, 2020 in Road Ranger, at a Road Ranger in Princeton, Illinois. Actually, I had to stop there due to weather. We had a big snowstorm that had came through and the roads were just too bad. So I had to find me a place to stop en route to Colorado. So I ended up stopping there, which was not a bad place to stop. But there was plenty of parking lot, unlike the last couple of truck stops I stayed at where there were dirt. This was actually a paved one. It wasn't clean from snow, but I'm not complaining. And it was it's right there off of I-80 in Princeton, Iowa. And it's not too bad. Run Ranger 225. And lots of spots, even right now where I'm recording, it's pretty late at night. There's still lots of spots on there. A lot of people like it. It's about... About a few hours west on I-80, leaving Chicago, en route to Iowa. And I was looking to reviews this. Pretty much everybody likes it. Always plenty of room to park. Deli counter, of course, is never open. A lot of places in the second reviews, two-star. But they're just bitching about not keeping the same problem because the gaps, because the road's icy. I mean, they can't keep it clean right after the snow falls, of course. But people go on bitch regardless. As for food, you do have a, a the restaurant side was closed, but you do have a Subway, you have a Wendy's, you have McDonald's, Big Apple Family Restaurant, Burger King, and a Walmart Supercenter, all within half a mile. So if you don't mind walking, which I know since I became a truck driver, I sure do need do a little walking myself. They're all within there. So that's where I was at. And while I was there, I found this lovely case of let's see what his name may be then there, the killer up is robert dale conklin yep now he didn't actually do the crime here he actually did a crime in georgia but because of what he did here in princeton is the reason why he why, why what made him make it do what he did in georgia he, he was actually in at one time of his life, he was actually caught burglarizing the house for armed robbery. I think it was a house. I couldn't really find much information on the individual, which, like last week, really wanted me to make to dive into it since it's virgin territory, and we all like them virgins, of course. But this one, hopefully, I'm gonna try the next week will be better. Try to find some more information, but I wanted to do this one. This was a once you. It's a funny case, just filled with craziness and i want to do an intro on this but i didn't do it but it all started off at arrest areas gay lovers plastic bags and garbage disposals but i will get into that so let's see what happened here in georgia so on march 28th 1984 a maintenance man employed at at, at the conklin the person at his apartment complex was collecting aluminum cans from the trash dumpsters when he discovered dissected human body parts, knives, bloody bed clothes, screwdriver, rope, credit cards, a wallet, and miscellaneous paperwork belonging to George Crux. All access, all 
were in black plastic bags. The body parts were identified as those of the attorney, George Crook, who was acquainted with this guy, Conklin. They actually had a physical relationship together. You know, they didn't live together, but they did have that kind of on and off relationship where they hung out. So once they 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 found the body once they really you know knew who this individual was they started looking at his past and they found out about the relationship where they went going knocking on his door robert dale conklin and found that he wasn't home so somehow during this time they end up getting a judge to sign a search warrant for this place where the they did find physical evidence you know where they did find Let's see what did they find in his apartment. Where the police found bed clothing was missing, which they found in a trash can. And the mattress appeared to be blood-soaked. Of course, the jam kitchen garbage disposal contained what re- appeared to be eternal organs. When quite, So they couldn't find him. So once they did find him, this is when... He came up with this crazy story. So they found him. He actually, right after that happened, I mean, I'll get in his story. Just here you go. Here's the once they, they found him and they arrested him. This is the, the report that he gave, this confession he gave. And I'll read the confession from how he put it. These are his words. All right. So bear with me. He goes, I first met George Crux at a rest stop off I-20. In Douglasville, over a period of time, which the rest area, come to find out, this is a place where a bunch of gay guys used to hang out for little affairs. So if they 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 want to get their you know little clean wean, little dirty, they'll head to this rest area. As then come and say all these clean weans. But over a period of time, we established they established a relationship. This is his words, not me. So it may sound like I'm talking, but this is the confession that he had made. Let's start over again. I first met George Crocs at a rest stop off I-20 by Douglasville. Over a period of time, we established a relationship. We could see each other. We seen each other about th- about three. Let me start again. We I'm I'm mouth mouth motherfucker me. <laughs> we would see each other every couple of three weeks. I moved out of my apartment to Copeland Road. Every now and then, he would come over and spend the night. Or I would go over to his house and spend the night. He would usually get high, have sex, and go to sleep. So on a Monday night, he came over. We got stoned. He didn't drink, though. He was, uh, he was alcohol. I guess he was an alcoholic. So he had to go to alcoholic anonymous and stuff like that. And would not drink. But he did get high. So they got the smoking pot. Later on that evening, we went on and went to bed. I wanted to go to sleep. He wanted to play. He kept messing with me, and it turned into a wrestling match. So I got tired of it, told him to quit, and he wouldn't. This went on for quite a while. I'm reading all this because I know you probably see, why is he reading this whole confession? Because just the way he reacted once he got into it, you would clearly see that this man had no dismount plan. This guy had no idea what to do, and they, I don't know. Just say he he was not ready. There were so many mishaps and there were so mess ups. This dude, it was a spur of moment thing, and he was so confused. He wasn't. Yeah, just you just. Hopefully, this gives you not on the expense of the victim, of course, but his stupidity. 
you know, give you a good laugh. So an hour and ten and a half, I guess at this point I was getting pretty mad because he would not leave me alone. So he would not leave me alone. So eventually he had me pinned to the bed. I'll stop that. Sitting on my stomach. I was wrestling, trying to get free. I was mad, but thought it was all a big joke. Eventually I got an arm free. I did hit him and hit him back. And he was still sitting on me. So this dude was a big one. We were there struggling. I reached over and grabbed a screwdriver. I swung the screwdriver and struck him. He rolled off the bed. I followed him with the screwdriver in hand and held him down. I struck the screwdriver in his ear. I wiggled it around and realized I, what I have done and got scared. So I went ahead and got a blanket and I tried to stop him from bleeding. But I think he was already dead. So I wrapped him up in the blanket. Drug him into the bathroom since he was bleeding. Here's where the story really gets crazy right here. He goes, I tried to put him in the bathtub. But I couldn't because he was just too heavy. You know, big guy. <laughs> and the shower curtain was in the way. You know, them damn shower curtains trying to get rid of a body. And just in the way. Everything in the way. Big heavy guy. Shower curtain in the way. And I went ahead and got a screwdriver downstairs, took the shower curtain down. I was able to go 560 or I was able to go ahead and get his body into the bathtub. And he was still bleeding. So at this point, I panicked. There was blood all over the place. I think it was on the sheets. I pretty, I'm pretty sure the blankets, walls all over the bathroom. At this point, I stopped and tried to think about what to do. He did not know what to do. I came to the conclusion that since I was on parole, back to what I was telling you about, where he was on parole in Princeton, Illinois already for Burley. So at this point, he probably could have, if this is all true, he could have, you know, self-defense and everything like that and seen what happened. But he was so afraid because of that. And probably because being a homosexual man, he probably think the law would not look in favor to his case, which is, I don't know. But it wouldn't be his best interest to get caught and have discovered that he had killed somebody, even though it might have been self-defense. So I decided I had to get rid of the body some way. I couldn't move it because he was too big, again, too heavy. So I thought I let the blood drain. So he just stuck him, stuck him, and it was hoping that he was the body was just going, all the blood was going to drain. But I guess he really didn't think about the fluids and muscles and all that stuff. It's also a weight. So I went ahead and got a steak knife from the downstairs and tried to cut his throat and bleed him into the bathtub. Which I'm not going to go too much into. You know, that's as far as I'm going to go. We got into that part where he had cut him up and everything and. So he couldn't pick up the, him up and carry him against because, like I say, he was too big. It's so involved with everyone. So I decided to get rid of the body somehow and get rid of his car, his possessions, and everything. By now, it was Tuesday morning. I didn't know what to do, so I went ahead and tucked his keys and his wallet on his face card, which I'm guessing is like a food card down there. I, I should have, I didn't, couldn't find nothing about it. It's like a food card or a debit card. But it's called an honest face car. And I got in his car. I then went ahead and went to the apartment so I could get some anything there that could connect me with him. So this is his apartment. So he's getting rid of all his stuff. I took a card with my name and number on it and the tape of his answer machine. And then put another fresh tape in since I 
had his honest face card in his checkbook, I drove around to several grocery stores and started getting cleaning supplies. The ideal ideal was to get cleaning supplies and the stuff to furnish the cleaning up to the place of at the apartment. While doing this, I realized there's no way I could get rid of the body because I couldn't pick him up because, again, he's just a big guy. He did not plan this out. Makes me wonder if it really was self-defense. Or if it wasn't self-defense, that this guy just don't have no clue. You just that dumb. So I thought that if I would cut him in half, I would put him in a couple of garbage bags, and then I would remove him from the apartment. I also bought some other things, food, knives, and other things. I wrote some checks after I did this. I bought all stuff back to the apartment. He still was no lighter than he was even after bleeding all that out of time so I used a knife to cut go ahead and cut his throat some more it was a lot sharper knife than I realized I had to get rid I had and I let's start again I realized I had to get rid of his car somehow so I drove it downtown on the way downtown it ran out of gas go figure so I pushed it in the parking lot I think it was Sears and Buckhead I wiped it down and every, tuck everything out of it, tried to catch a bus back to where I live, caught the wrong bus, <laughs> this guy, on the wrong road. I was on Pace's Ferry Road, so I rode the bus to Pace Ferry Crossing and I caught a cab back to the apartment. When I got there, I went ahead and went to work. So he back to work by cutting him in half so I could get rid of him there. While this is going, he's cutting them out, putting them in bags, and stuff like that. By that time, before I get, before he even get all this done, he got a phone call from some friends of of his in the neighborhood, and he said that he was they were going to stop by since normally I would tell him come on over. So I I told him coming over. It didn't say the names on it, but he said these people came over. This guy I'll say D. I'll say Dan and Mary. So it was Dan and Mary and, and his. Dan, no, it's Dan Martin and his wife. So Dan and his wife. I cleaned up everything downstairs before they got over. So he's this body's upstairs. So all I had to go is upstairs. So between three o'clock and five a.m. the evening, I had gone to the. I had gone to a meeting for work. I was gone for a couple hours, and then then he came over about seven o'clock or eight o'clock or something like that. Shortly after there, some more friends showed up. And they sat around and drank beers while while smoked some weed. After they left, he went back upstairs, finished putting everything in a bag. I found I couldn't carry all the bags, so I went to Kmart and bought some more garbage. I bought a garbage can. So this guy's just marking himself all over the place. He ain't really realizing that maybe people might have seen him with their known accomplices. And knowing that, you know, he's just putting, you know, I don't know if he was using cards. but I guess he was using the cards. So he's putting out there all they got to do is surveillance. And this was the time of a lot of surveillance. So there's cameras everywhere. So where was I? So he went back to get a garbage can. I thought it was also handy. I bought a push cart so he could I could move him the can. So I went ahead and filled the garbage can with the bags and moved them to the garbage. And I left some of the bags with with George, I guess that's his name. It sounded weird at first. And for outside later on that night, it started to rain. So I went ahead and tucked the trash can with the cart, tucked it to the dumpster, unloaded all the bags. Before I did this, I cleaned up the bathroom, 
all the sheets, blankets, and stuffed in the trash can. So that's where I, how they found it earlier. I don't remember if it took two or three trips, but at least two trips. So he's taking all this, all these body parts, and put it in the trash can. That's why they were able to find it. You know, I knew it, would, it took two trips out of there. I went back. Cl he cleaned up the apartment, blood, everything. Eventually, he fell asleep on the couch. He woke up the next day, and he had to go to work. You know, he had to continue with his life to make sure so nobody you know, knew what was going on. So he went ahead and took a shower, got ready for work, and he was running late, so I didn't finish cleaning up everything. I went to my car, got into the car, and drove around the building and the way I usually go. But when I turned the corner, he said he noticed the tape around the road. People were digging stuff out of the dumpster, so he was on. They figured out what happened. They found the body. They well, the guy who was looking for church, so he didn't know if he should, if they connected him with you. He don't know nothing, as you can tell. He he didn't plan this through, no dismount. So he, you know, panic mode started freaking out. Push the panic button. So I decided it would be my best interest not to be around. So instead of going to work, I went ahead, which is another wrong. He just got to continue his day. But he decided to drive around to figure out things out while he decided to do this. It was a good idea not to go back to his apartment unless I knew for sure that I was a suspect. So I decided it would be the best. I left all together and assumed that. I was assumed that he was a suspect otherwise. I went ahead and got all my money out of the bank, red flag, account, on my bank card. Then I went to downtown, parked my car in a Holiday Inn, and wandered around town. I checked the bus station, eventually decided to buy a ticket to Miami. Why not? Let's just get out of town. After I had been in Miami a couple, for a couple days, it was about two days, he decided, well, I decided to corn him as his, this is his statement, so he decided it would not be, you know, it was not where I wanted to be. So he had tried back to Atlanta where he found out that he was being sought after, of course. So he had no place to go. So he was broke and hungry. He went back to his apartment where he found the police had already been, of course. I stayed there anyways because I didn't know have anywhere else to go by the, until Monday. It was last night, Saturday night. I was discovered and they chased them down. I keep saying I and him, so I'll stop that. I'm about to stop his confession. It's almost over with. I didn't get to take a, anything, but so he just ran in. They saw he was there because, they're, of course, they were monitoring the place. You know, make sure he's coming because they were looking for him because all his money was in his bank. All the red flags is already up. They found his body parts at his apartment complex. They his He's gone. You know, they were known at the accomplices. And all of a sudden, he disappears right afterwards, and all his money's out of his bank. I mean, why wouldn't they be looking for him? So, they chased him. So, he went back to his apartment and stuff. He he was not able to get nothing. So, he went back to his apartment to get more stuff that he had left. It wasn't there. So, he went ahead and got what he could and decided to catch a bus downtown. And on the way to the bus, he got caught, and there he is. So his confession pretty much states in the long run that his friend came over and in that confession, which I think I'll bring up later on, that the the good lawyer was actually, he he had just came back from it too. So he was pretty already buzzed up from pain medication as it was. So he was kind of buzzed and he, I guess he wanted some and oh George, you know, Robert Coughlin just wanted to go to sleep. But this man did not want to. He wanted to play, and it wasn't playtime.
Hello, I am back. I'm. You probably didn't. It's here the mishap, and I'm. My computer's been giving me a little issue, so if you hear a little gap in it, or am I repeating myself? I do apologize, but I'm gonna try to get this out before tonight and have an early morning. But anyhow, back to what I was saying, it was not playtime for him, so I don't know if I rem said this, but during the the trial, the courtroom, number of slides of photographs were taken during the autopsy out of the presence of the jury. The issues was there admissible was addressed but all but one was excluded irrelevant to the case which when the jury was break back in the, the, the doctor was asked to put on and the wrong picture was shown so when the jury came back and they said present the photo the machine was turned off right away and the jury was sent back out of the room the record shows that all the slides had been removed from machine except the two which they thought it was the one the one that had been ruled admissible and the one which showed the top of victim's head with the scalp pulled back. The later photograph was displayed for three to four seconds. No testimony was presented on the photograph. So with that, Cochran's attorney moved for a mistrial on that. Fine as a fact that display was accidental and expressed doubt of the juries knew the photograph, what it portrayed, like he was the monster that contrary to his defense and they just said it wasn't admissible which I think it probably should have been added to it so the expert explained it defense counsel asked the court to under the instruction it was not given mail whatever and so they found out that it was not admissible of course so they just let it go so at the, the guilt phrase the state argued as the evidence pointed out I think He's a male prostitute on top of it. Back to the truck stop where he met up with them at the rest area, I mean. Not truck stop. Cochran moved for a mistrial, was emplacent, and was denied. Incomplete. No corrective instructions were sought off given. Cochran argues that the state improperly expressed a personal opinion not supported by evidence because the male prostitute. Despite the this, I, the portion of the state's argument can most reasonably be interpreted at an attempt to draw an interference with the evidence and not the state's opinion on personal knowledge of matters and not an evidence which was all wrong and him being homosexual was not relevant to the case from the victim these facts were of course admitted and or explained his conduct as a part of his theory of justification and serious trying to explain himself none of that worked so when the, the the jury came back with guilty, of course, and the death penalty can be posed if the jury finds existence of least one of ten of these things. Defense of one of the tens. Here's here's some of them. Defense of murder with outrageously and wantonly vile, horrible, and inhuman, and that involved a. a Aggravated battery to the victim, torture to the victim, and or depravity of mind of the defendant. The evidence must be sufficient to satisfy the first major, those are just some of them, component, the statutory aggravation circumstance, at least one of them had to be. So he argues to the trail court erred by failing to give instruction clarifying the meaning of these things. So they define outrageously or meaningly, wantingly, vile, horrible, and humane. However, we have held these words are subject to common understanding and need no clarifications. So they said we don't have to explain that. It's pretty common sense. He's 
outrageously, wantonly, vile, horrible, inhumane. Pretty self-explanatory, wouldn't you think? Cochrane also argues that even if post-mortem modification of a body shows depravity of mind, it is insufficient to support the finding that the offense of murder was outrageously and wantonly vile. So they're saying they, there's no way to prove that. We can argue that offense of they cannot argue that the offense of murder terminates the instant death. So nothing that happens afterwards can be considered in determining whether the offense of murder is outrageously and wantonly vile or horrible and inhumane. So there's no he's trying to say there's no way you could prove that without a doubt. Cochlin further argues that in order finding his statutory aggravation, so back to you know the benefit of all the back to back back to the same thing I've been talked about. So over objection, the dusted surfacus appeared prepared was admitted to evidence with certain portions deleted. It stated that part of the immediate cause of death was stab wounds to the neck and chest, with the sufficient conditions being head neck trauma. Cochrane the scientific reports state that not furnished defense despite timely matter request. So, with all that being said, what ended up happening to him, he ended up getting found guilty, given a death sentence, where where this, they went through all his appeals, where they were all failed. He did not make it. And the lovely state of Georgia decided to execute Mr. Robert. Dale Cochran. So the trial was in 1984. Let's let's get a breakdown of this. So the grand jury indicted Cochran on April 3rd, 1984. Grand jury found Cochran guilty of malice murder, June 15th, 1984. Jury's recommendation of a death sentence was returned on June 16th, 1984. Course of direct appeals from 85 to 86. Georgia Supreme Court affirmed conviction says you sir you are still going to die the evidence is applied sufficient to the court conviction of malice murder Cochran also motion to reconsideration was denied on July 23rd 1985 Cochran found another of course with state habeas corpus habeas corpus petition between 86 and 94 where his potential for a right another habeas corpus, which was all denied, federal habeas corpus from 95 to 2001 was denied, filed a petition, all this habeas corpus, 2000, 2004, 2003, you know, grant the extension to certification application the case was agreed on. So, Georgia man was on comes Tuesday, July 12, 2005, 8.34 p.m., was his execution day. So let, let's let's see what happened. So his last meal. Let's talk about it. Right before death, he decided. I mean, and I'm, his last meal wasn't too bad. I think so. I, I think I would pick it. Filet mignon, wrapped with bacon, deveined shrimp, sautéed in garlic butter, with lemon baked potato with butter, sour cream, chives. Real bacon bits, not that fake shit, gotta be real. Corn on the cob, asparagus with habaleus sauce, holiday sauce, French bread with butter, goat cheese, cantaloupe, apple pie, vanilla bean, ice cream, and iced tea. So, he enjoyed his last meal. So, the man stabbed, here's what they say, uh, what the Jackson News said. 
Jackson, Georgia News said. A man who stabbed his gay lover to death with a screwdriver and dismembered the remains was executed on Tuesday in Georgia after courts rejected his last-minute repeals. Robert Dale Cochran, 44, was put to death by lethal ejection at the state prison in Jackson. So, and that's about 50 if you're ever in town in Jackson, about, it's about 50 miles south of Atlanta. He died at 7.44 p.m. Good riddance to you. And he denied to make a final statement, but he did ask for a prayer. So his final words was, Amen. And there you have it. There is a story of Robert Dale Cochran when I was over at the Road Ranger in Princeton, Illinois. Sorry, so choppy, but, you know, the story kind of in and out, reading, blah, blah, but it was a pretty long week this week. I had to run a lot of hours and stuff like that. I do try my best all my research, but some weeks I just don't have the time because I do do 11-hour to 14-hour shifts a day. And because, you know, normally I would, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why do you do this? Because, this, you know, I, I enjoy telling stories. I'm by myself pretty much all the time. So this is my point, my interaction with somebody. I'm hoping one day I do get a co-host that I can share this with and maybe with the interaction of someone else who gets into true crime as much as I do. Eventually, hopefully one day that I'll be able to do my family members and, you know, my family members and my wife's family members if I could talk her to let me do it. And her name, Desra Glover. She told me not to say, but she's the one who's the love of my life who got me into this. If you are on Facebook, why don't you give her a shout out and say, hey, how you doing? But anyhow, if you cared about this, what I said, or bared through it, or willing to give me a chance... Why don't you head on over to the Apple iPods, you know, what James and Jimmy calls the purple icon. And rate, review, and subscribe. Please be nice. This is my beginning ones. Or any podcast you listen to, you could come and join us on my Facebook page, Truck Stop Murder, or my Instagram at Truck Stop Murder. Or you can follow me at either at Gary Howard or Gary.Howard5 on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you like what you heard, thank you. I appreciate it. And while I'm doing this, I want to give out. I haven't did this, but I decided I want to give out some special thanks to some people, you know, entitled to so. First of all, I want to thank my wife for making this possible and encouraging me to do so to make this podcast. I also want to thank James Petrogrello and Jimmy Wisman of Small Town Murder and Crime and Sports for really motivating me, inspiring me to do this podcast. If it wasn't for them shows, I don't think it there would be not this show. And if you like true crime, you try to listen to them. Also, I would like to give a great thanks to Dan Cummins of Time Sucks, Scared to Death Podcast. And another one I believe is coming out soon. He's another person that really motivated me. And all my people on my Facebook page at Truck Stop Murder. But yeah, them three podcasters. And of course, I can't forget old Barney and Tara from Bloody Murder. They really, you know, you know, these are just, I'm saying these podcasts because they really inspired me. So if you like true crime or anything like that, give Barney and Tara a Bloody Murder. And of course, their friend Cambo on True Crime Island. These are all podcasts I listen to that really motivated me to start mine. And so... I will see you next week. I will try to get it out next Friday. Well, I'll drop this on Thursday. So on CastBox, you'll get it on Thursday and everywhere else on Friday. So Sergeant Awesome out.